up, everybody? How you doing today? It is good to see you. Uh, we had a bunch of people stay home today because it drizzled a little bit outside. And so for all of you guys, welcome, who are watching online, you're, you're probably going to hell because you stayed home today. But we love you. And so, kidding, that's disgusting. I shouldn't make that joke. Love you if you're watching at home, but you should be here. This kid thinks it's funny. He's like, I'm not allowed to say that to my mom. <clears throat> okay. Uh, hey, you might have noticed on every day except for today that your elbows are getting a little, you know, they're getting bumped into more at Life Code than they used to. You're having a little bit harder time finding a parking spot than you used to. And so we're gearing up to start a third service. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. Four of you are happy about that. That's cool. So, so um, we have a survey. If you did this last week, you don't need to fill it out this week. But if you filled this out last week, um, if you haven't filled it out, I'd love for you to fill it out. Just tells us who you are, what service you attend, and what you would attend if we changed it to different service times, okay? So um, that would help us to make sure we spread it properly to where we don't pick times that are going to actually give us more problem, not less problem. And so if you'll fill that out, that would be super, super helpful. I want to say a couple things real quick. I want to say a huge welcome back home to... Scott here up on the front row and Alice Joyner, welcome home. They were, just this last week, they were um, in Africa, in Kenya, and I'm going to have, I'm not going to try to explain all the stuff that was going on. I'm going to have Pastor Scott up here in a couple weeks and have him tell you about the, tell you about the trip, but we're so glad to have you guys home, and so welcome back. Um, and one other thing, Kenzie and I, this week, we celebrate 10 years of marriage. So our, our 10-year anniversary, this was us 10 years ago. I know we don't look any different, except for I just look a little chubbier, right? So just a little chubbier. I still can't grow a beard, but we'll, we'll try one day. So, um, so yeah, and then this was us, uh, this was the night that I proposed to Kenzie. And I'm showing you this because this where I proposed to her was on this property before there was a church building here. And so what happened was when we were dating, our kind of our relationship, kind of, we, we started hanging out maybe April of 2012. We started hanging out, and then we just never stopped hanging out. Like, we hung out, and then we just were always together, like, all the time. And um, to the point that, like, I didn't know she had a boyfriend, <laughs> but she did. <laughs> And we were hanging out, and I guess that meant that she couldn't hang out with her boyfriend anymore. So she broke up with him. And so we're, we're hanging out all this time. And our very first, like, date that we, I say it's a date. It was kind of, it was, uh, it, it was just sporadic. Like, I was just like, hey, come meet me here. We came in, we met at this property, and I threw on my, threw on my back and walked her around this whole property. There was, like, ticks and snakes everywhere and stuff. But we walked the whole property, and, um, and then we sat out here and just, like, talked till like, 2 in, 2 in the morning or whatever. And it was, just, it was just a sweet thing. So when I proposed, I took her back out to this property and proposed here. And then when we got married, this building started being built. And as the building was being built, Kenzie and I were here every single day just to see the progress and see what was going on. And uh, my parents started the church. They were pastoring the church, and they were kind of overseeing it all. But Kenzie and I were here just like obsessed with what, what we felt God was going to do in this place. 
And so then uh, when they poured the concrete, Kenzie and I uh, came and put verses, Bible verses, in the different parts of the concrete throughout the building. And so we have pictures of what verses we wrote and where we put them. And so we kind of snuck in and snuck them under the ground before they poured the concrete so that it would be forever encased in the foundation of the building. The only problem was that I did not know how to read architectural drawings. And so there were some verses that I put to be in specific places that are not in that place at all. Like, I'm pretty sure there's, there's verses that I thought were going to be in the kids' room that are actually just in the bathroom now. So, so there's that. But then there was a verse that I put under the stage that was um, John, uh, I can't remember the exact chapter off the top of my head, but in the book of John, uh, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And he's saying two, thank you. Lenny. Before I even say the verse, like, I'm like, I can't remember what it is, but I, but there's, and he's like, oh, it's, it's John three. And I'm like, I haven't even said the words yet. Um, that kid likes it. (laughs) Um, okay. So, (laughs) so, uh, so he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He's speaking of two things. He's speaking of, he's going to be lifted up on a cross, but he's speaking of his glorification. He's talking about him being raised to glory and him drawing all men unto him, both through the cross, but also the glory that the father would bring to him. Like, like Philippians says that, at, that he was given the name above every other name, right? So if he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. So I put that verse under the stage because I wanted to remember that anytime anyone preached at our church, our only job is to lift up Jesus. And if we do that, he will draw the people to him. He will build the people. He will, he will lead, he will grow the people. He will mature the people. He will draw the people if we just lift up Jesus. So I put that under the stage. The problem was I didn't put it under the stage. I put it somewhere over there, <laughs> thinking that's where the stage came. And so there was one prayer night where I was just kind of laughing to God about how stupid I was for putting that over there somewhere and not under the stage. And I just felt so simple. I just felt God say, the job of lifting me up is not just from the person on the stage. It's from every person in the church. And so here I am putting this verse under here for the pastor to lift up Jesus. And I'm going, actually, the people of God are called to lift up Jesus. It's not the person, it's the people. I don't know if you grew up in a culture that always talked about the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God, all rise for the man of God who's walked into the room or, you know, that kind of culture. If you ever came from that kind of church culture, what I love is I do love a sense of honor and respect. I think that's great. What I don't love is that God's purpose and his plan was never just about a person. It was about his people. God's desire was not just person, it was people. God, even though he had your name in mind, even though he knows you by name, even though right now he is intimately involved in what you're going through in your life, and that's all true, his heart and his desire is for a people, not just a person. All you see all throughout scripture is that what God wants is he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. So all throughout scripture, God is trying to form a people of God. 
He wants people that he can call his. He wants people that are faithful to him and he is faithful as their God, right? That's the heart of God. Now, in order to understand this today, I'm gonna use a word that a lot of people don't really ever use in English terms, but it's very important that we understand this because it communicates the heart of God. The word that I'm gonna talk about is the word covenant. Covenant, covenant. In today's world, you might not ever use the word covenant, and even if you hear covenant, maybe you hear it at a wedding ceremony, today they're entering into a covenant. Maybe you hear it kind of thrown around here and there, but, you, but if we don't really understand it, we can't really understand the heart of God towards his people. Covenant, what is a covenant? A covenant is more than just a commitment. It's more than just a promise. It's more than just a, a legal contract. A covenant is a binding, unifying, mutual agreement between two or more parties where they are obligated under extreme circumstances, like by the highest standards, that I am obligated to you and you are obligated to me. Not just I'm putting my, you know, you know with, a, with a bank, I'm buying this house and I'm signing a mortgage and the mortgage contract says that if I fail to pay you, that you can take my house. That's just kind of like, if I fail to pay you, you can take my house. That's a contract. In a covenant, it's like I am binding myself, myself, into this relationship. If I fail to do my end of the deal, it's, it's not gonna be good for me. It's not just that I'm gonna lose my house or I'm gonna lose my car or I'm gonna lose, no. Like, I am putting myself into this agreement. Now, in the covenant, a lot of times you would, you would um, say things like you would, you, would, you would make the covenant and then you would uh, sacrifice an animal to, com- like, to literally shed blood for the covenant to say, uh, if I fail my end of the covenant, may I be like this dead animal, which is literally you saying, like, I am so committed to what we're talking about today that my whole life will be destroyed if I fail to fulfill my obligations to you. That's a covenant. That sounds a little bit heavier than the contracts we, we do today, right? It sounds a little bit heavier than the contracts you know, of, of buying and selling or whatever. This is a much bigger deal. It's a agreement. Now, in ancient Near Eastern time, there was two main types of covenants. The first one was called a suzerain vassal agreement, which we just simplify to say a revocable covenant. What does that mean? You've got a suzerain, you've got a vassal, you've got a master, you've got a servant. The vassal's the servant. And these two are entering into a covenant where I'm the weaker, you're the greater, and my job is to fulfill my end of the agreement or the master is gonna enact the covenant against me, right? We're we're coming into an agreement and the master's uh, rights and, and role is protected and my rights are all kind of on the line and if I fail to do my side of it, then the contract, the, the covenant can be revoked. It's a revocable covenant. And then there's another type, which is called the irrevocable covenant. And in an irrevocable covenant, it's the exact opposite. The, the, the rights of the master are not protected. The rights of the vassal are protected. And what does that mean? If Even if I fail to do my side of the agreement, the master must do his side of the agreement. Why? Because the master's nature is on the line. This is who I am. You're hearing me. This is who I am. So it's like, I cannot revoke my covenant because my name is on the line. Even if you fail to do your end of the deal, I will do my end of the deal. 
So these are the covenants that people made with each other in their day and age, right? In, in this Jewish culture that they were in. And this was kind of the understanding of what a covenant was. Now, what is the purpose of, or, or let's talk about how a covenant gets made. There's three main parts of a covenant. The first one is the words of the covenant. What would happen is I would stand with the person and we would make vows. This is my end of the covenant. And the other person, this is my end of the covenant. You would speak the words, the terms, the promises, the agreements, the oaths. These are the terms of our agreement. In the, in the book of, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Mosaic covenant, there's literally a book of the covenant where Moses is writing down the covenant. We read it now in scripture, in the Torah. It's, it's the rules that God, it's the terms God is making. And so there's words of a covenant. In a marriage, you have this as well. You come down and you, and you give vows to each other, exchanging in covenant, in sickness and health, for richer or for poorer. No matter what, I'm gonna be there for you. That's a covenant that's made. The second part is the blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant was, anytime they would make a covenant, they took it so seriously that they didn't just say, I promise, you promise, okay, I'll take you at your word. They literally would make a sacrifice whenever they would make a covenant. And they would say, and they would say uh, uh, there was times in scripture where they would lay one animal, the half of the animal here and the other half here, and they would pass through this dead animal to step into the covenant. There was blood in order to seal the covenant and they were also reminding themselves, if I fail to do my side, may I be like this dead animal. So that was, the, that was the blood of the covenant. And now every covenant has blood. Now, every blood sacrifice, there was a mediator that would kind of uh, be there in, in, a, in agreement or, or kind of hosting that moment. There would be the blood itself, the sacrifice, and then there would also be the holy place. In other words, whenever they would make this, they would make promises and they would make it a holy moment. These are not just moments where I'm promising you, you're promising me. We go to a special place, we build a special altar, we sacrifice an animal, and there we enter into covenant with each other. The more we talk about this, the more you actually go, actually, modern weddings are, are built from the tradition of covenant that we stand before a priest or we stand before a mediator Right, and we say words to one another. Now, there's no dead animals, praise Jesus. That would be weird. And if, and if you ask me to do your wedding and you wanna have dead animals there, I'm not into that. <laughs> so we're not gonna do that. But, that's, but, but it's covenant. And the third part of the covenant is, um, it, the third part of the covenant is the seal of the covenant, the sign, the, 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 the seal, the sign, the, the, the image of the covenant. Now, in a wedding or a marriage, that is a ring. You put a ring on your finger. Why? To show I am married. I am married to Kenzie. This is the seal. This is the sign. We've been married 10 years this Thursday, right? This is the, the, the proof of that is when I go to shake someone's hand or whatever and they look, they see a ring. That is a seal or a sign that I am committed in covenant to Kenzie. That's the parts of the covenant. Now, the purpose of the covenant, I want to show you this. Here's the purpose of the covenant. Let's read this verse says this in Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. These two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, 
are the words of covenant. These are the same words that are used when described when they describe covenant. And what is this talking about? Steadfast love and faithfulness. The purpose of covenant is to have a ongoing, stable, committed, full, like loyal love and faithfulness between two parties. Loyal love and faithfulness between two parties. That's the purpose of covenant. You know, I hear a lot of people say, uh, yeah, you know, we fell out of love and so we got divorced. We fell out of love and so we got divorced. I have to tell you, um, that's not how it works. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's not how it works. You don't fall out of love. You didn't, you didn't marry the person because you fell in love with the person. Let me, let me unpack this just for a second. You did not marry your spouse because you love them. You did not marry your spouse because you loved them. You married your spouse because you liked them. You loved them because you married them. Follow me here for just a second. You didn't marry your spouse because, oh, I just love you so much. I just love you so much, I wanna marry you. No, what you're describing right now is an intense form of liking, okay? When Kenzie and I were dating, I intensely liked her. Loved being around her, thought she was so fun to be around, and like I loved talking to her, and I loved all the, you know, we'd go to movies together, we had fun together. That's an intense form of liking. That comes and goes throughout life, right? Not with me and Kenzie, never with us. We are always 10 out of 10, right? Um, no, but in your marriage, if you think that you're marrying someone and you think that you're marrying them because I like them um, and then you are married for a year and they do something you don't like, you're just like, oh, maybe, maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be with this person. You didn't marry them because you loved them. You married them because you liked them. But when you married them, you made a promise to love them. You made a commitment to love them. Till death do you part. Now, this is no condemnation on anyone who's gone through a divorce. I, I totally understand. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is the way that marriage works, the way that this stuff works is I'm saying to Kenzie, I am going to be here for you no matter what, thick or thin, up or down, sick or poor, or sick or healthy, you know, rich or poor, no matter what, I'm going to be there for you. That is a commitment to love one another. Love is a choice, not a feeling. And so a covenant is where we enter into a binding choice to continue to choose. So a covenant is, uh, on my wedding day, I came in front of, Kenzie and I came together, and we looked at each other, and we made covenant with each other. We made a choice with each other. I am choosing to love you, and I am choosing to choose to love you forever. Today, I am making a choice to choose you again tomorrow and to choose you again the next day, and to choose you again the next day. Yeah. Now, in, in, in what world would you even think that marriage is a good idea if God had not given us that picture? Wouldn't it make so much more sense for me to just be with people that I like, and if I stop liking you, I just stop being with you, right? Like, that's more convenient, it's more, but God doesn't, he desires marriage to be a picture of the relationship he wants with us, yeah. which is a 
constant, sustained, steadfast, loyal love, a loyal love and, and ongoing till death do us part. I am choosing today to choose you tomorrow, to choose you the next day, to choose you the next day. You don't fall out of love and, and, and fall out of the marriage. You choose to stop loving or hearing me. I'm not talking about form, I'm not talking about abuse and adultery. I'm not talking about any of that, but I'm saying in a marriage where you're just like, nah, just, I'm not feeling anymore. Well, you actually made a promise to love even if you didn't feel like it. That's a covenant. That's a covenant. Now, why would God want to make covenant with his people? And that's because of this, God desires, he desires a relationship with his people that is constant, that is faithful, that is unending, that is enduring, that is no matter what's going on, I have a relationship with these people that don't worship me on, Monday, or on Sunday and then worship idols on Monday. God wants a relationship with his people that don't just read his word and love his word on Sunday, but then on Monday, they follow other ideas and other doctrines and other, he wants a people that like, you are my God and I am your people. That's what he wants. God wants an enduring, never-ending, steadfast relationship with his people. You see this from the beginning of time when he made Adam and Eve. He made him, he put them in the garden, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. What did, he, what did you see as soon as he made Adam? He goes, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. And I, I just saw on, on uh, YouTube the other day, someone was talking about how misogynistic it is that Eve was made from the rib of Adam, which is hilarious because the teaching of the church is literally that God brought the woman out of his side not to be lorded over. It, he didn't bring him out of his feet, didn't bring him out of his head to rule over him, out of his side to be standing together side by side. To, he brought him from out from under his arm to nurture and care for her, to put his arm around her. So when God made Adam and Eve, he pulls Eve out and he goes, okay, this is better. Two is better than one. Then he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. God never made Adam thinking one person is enough. He always wanted a people. He always wanted a people. He didn't just want one. He wanted Adam and Eve. Next time I see you, I want to see some babies running around. Right, Be fruitful and multiply. You see with Abraham, when he makes covenant with Abraham, you see that he's saying, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Why? I will be your God. You will be my people. God's always wanted a people, and he's always wanted that people to be faithful to him and him to be faithful to them. So here's four thoughts about God here today, and these are all, all I'm going to share with you today is these four thoughts about God. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do, I want you to believe by faith about who our God is today, okay? First thought here today. Our God is a covenant-making God. Our God is a covenant-making God. I wanna read four verses to you. Here's the first one. I will establish my covenant with you. Here's another one. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Here's another one. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and all my desire? Here's the last one here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Why does God make covenant? Because he wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people. That's why he makes covenant. Our God is a covenant-making God. Here's a second thought today. Our God is a covenant-revealing God. Our God is a covenant revealing God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just make a promise in his mind and not invite us into it? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just make a covenant and then like not tell us about it? God makes covenant with us and he reveals his covenant to us. Listen to this right here. It says this in the book of Psalms. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. God makes his covenant known to his friends. He makes his covenant known. He makes his promises known. He makes his relationship desire known to his friends. Here's the third thought here today. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. You know that every single covenant ever made in Scripture, I want to show you a, a, a a chart of all the covenants that are made in scripture, okay? The first one is the Edenic covenant. That means that it was made in the Garden of Eden, okay? And he makes this covenant with Adam and Eve, and he is faithful to his side, and Adam and Eve fail their side. And the moment that they fail their side, God shows up again to make a new covenant with Adam, which is called the Edemic covenant. This is found in Genesis chapter three, where he first speaks curses, but then he speaks redemption and salvation. He says, from her seed, from Eve, will come a, a, a savior who will trample on the head of the snake and the snake will bite his heel. From that moment, as soon as they have failed the Edenic covenant, God is faithful to fulfill that covenant. Then he makes a new covenant with Adam and he says, you have failed, but here's what I'm gonna do. You've sinned and you've fallen short, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a savior. Then we go to another one, the, no Noahic, uh, the Noahic covenant. This covenant is made with Noah right after he wiped out the face of the earth, right, with the, with the flood. And they're coming out of the ark, and God makes covenant with Noah. And if you remember, this is when the rainbow in the sky, he, he says, that will be a sign. That will be the seal of our covenant, that I will never again flood the earth and destroy all the people on the earth. So every time it rains and you see a rainbow and you're like, oh, that's so nice. That's the Noahic covenant, just constantly reminding God's people about the grace of God and the goodness of God. He should wipe us out. Let's be honest. He should wipe us out. Have you ever been driving through Colonial Heights and you see that guy who's got the big arc, the steel arc? You know what I'm talking about? He's building some other thing now, too, I think, some like spaceship or something. I don't know what it is, but, but he's got this big arc. It's a waste of time, dude. You don't need it. You don't need it. Because God has made covenant with us that he's never again going to do that. 
Okay, and then we get to the Abrahamic covenant. This is where he makes covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will be your God. And from you, you will be the father of many nations. And from you will come many people. And I will be their God. And you, and you will be my people. Then we get to the Mosaic covenant. This is where Moses comes and, he make, and Israel is established as the people of God. We go on and on and on. We get the Davidic covenant all the way to the new covenant. This is where Jesus comes and fulfills all the covenants in himself. He reveals to us, in fact, scripture tells us that all of these covenants were pointing to Jesus. Every single one of these covenants, the fullness of them is revealed in Christ Jesus. Remember I said that every covenant has blood. Every covenant has a mediator. Every covenant has words. Every covenant Well, we know that Jesus is the word incarnate. We know that he is the sacrifice and the scripture tells us he is the mediator once and for all between God and man. And the sign, the seal, I love this. He promises the Holy Spirit to us. And what does he say to us? He says, this will be a sign. This will be a seal. This will be a a affirmation that you are my people because you have the Holy Spirit. So this new covenant, this new relationship, this new thing, that was the idea from the beginning. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he knew that Jesus was going to come save the day one day. He is a covenant-keeping God. Even when you and I fail, he is faithful. I want to say that one more time. Even when you and I fail, he is faithful. Some of us fail so much that we actually think just not that I fail, but that I am a failure. You know what I mean? You know, I fail, I fail, I fail. At some point, I'm just like, I'm a failure. Even when we are a failure, God is a covenant-keeping God. Even when we mess up, even when we don't uphold our end of the deal, God is a covenant-keeping God. God. Every covenant originates from God. We, we don't go to God and say, God, I want to make a covenant with you that you're going to provide fresh pancakes from heaven every morning when I wake up. And in return, I'm going to do this. No, it doesn't work that way. God makes a covenant with us and we get all the benefits from it. And he is faithful to it even when we fail. Let this be an encouragement to you today. You feel like, man, I just... I had a great day last Sunday. I was so full of faith. I was so, and then I had a failure of a week. God is faithful to his covenant, even when we fail. He cannot break his covenant because he cannot break his nature. He will not break his covenant because he will not break his nature. Our God is a covenant keeping God. Check out these three verses. These three verses. The first one is this covenant keeping God. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. When, when, you, when you first hear this, you go, a thousand. Okay, how long has it been since that? Have we been to a thousand generations? It wasn't literally a thousand generations. What he's saying is in, in Hebrew language, a thousand would have been a very large number. Do you remember when, when they went to Jesus and they said, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And he goes, no, 70 times seven. Or seven, you know, some translations say 70 times 70. What is he saying? He's, he's racking up to a very high number in their minds. You know, you and I, we live in a world of millions and billions and now, thanks to the national debt, trillions, okay? 
And like in, a, in another 10 years, we'll have like gazillions in debt or something. I don't know. So the numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger. In Jewish times, when you said a thousand, that was a massive number. That's like, a, that's like, you know, that's like Scout makes up numbers when she's trying to say something really big. Or, you know, my kids would be like infinity times infinity, right? And then Story's now at the age where she's like, you can't do that. You can't times infinity times infinity. Or Scout would be like 130 hundred. You know, to her, that's a big number. 130 hundred. Um, that's a really big number. Um, that's what he's saying here. He's saying God keeps his commands. He, uh, he keeps his covenant to 130 hundred generations. To a gazillion generations. That's what, our God is faithful. Check out this verse. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. I love that. He provides because he remembers his covenant forever. God's gonna care for you because he remembers his covenant forever. You had a bad day, you sinned, you tripped up, you messed up. God remembers his covenant and he is faithful to keep his covenant forever. He's going to provide. He's going to care. He's going to protect. Why? Not because you're awesome, because he's awesome. Not because you're so great, because he's so great. When I was a kid, I used to, my, my grandparents used to always lavish love on me and give me all these gifts and, and, and money. And every time I would see my grandma, she'd always stuff like $5 in my pocket or she was always just giving and she, you know, <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese came around, and I'm like, Grandma, we should go to Chuck E. Cheese. And I would go on the computer and print out all the coupons, and she would take me and my cousin to Chuck E. Cheese. And then we would run out of stuff, and she would just go drop. I mean, she was throwing money at Chuck E. Cheese. And we want pizza, a slice? No, we want the whole thing. She would get the giant pizza. We'd get the root beer. We'd be so high on sugar. We'd just running around like crazy. We'd spend 500 tokens in five minutes. And then she's just like, here's some more. And then we get the bucket of the tokens, right? We're walking around with the bucket, cling, cling, chang, chang, walking around, putting them all in the machines, playing five games at one time. The bucket runs out. We go back to grandma. Grandma, we need more, we need more money. And she would give us more money. And we'd I mean, it was crazy. And then we'd go out there with a slinky. <laughs> we'd leave with a plastic slinky and it'd be broken in the car five seconds later. My grandma would always be like, you know, you can keep your stuff and then like later you can get something better. And we're like, no, I want the slinky. So, so she'd spend a million dollars and we'd get the slinky. When I was a kid, I thought, man, I'm awesome. She loves me so much. I must be amazing. I don't know what other kids are like, but I get all this stuff because of how great I am. And as I got older, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not awesome. My grandma is awesome. She didn't spend all this stuff on me because I'm so great. She spent all this stuff on me because she's so great. And because she treated me that way, I wanted to rise up into greatness. She would say stuff to me like, Kyle, you are so, we would walk the park and we would pray together in the park and she would say, you are so good at praying. You're such a good prayer warrior. You're such, she would say these things to me and her encouragement was because she was awesome, not because I was awesome. But that encouragement would cause me to want to rise up into awesomeness. Our God keeps his covenant 
Not because you and I are so awesome, but because he is so awesome. And that, the response from us should be, God, I want to rise up into the greatness that you're calling me to. You keep calling me good and yours and chosen and a royal priesthood and all these things. I don't deserve that. God, I want to rise up into those things that you've called me to. Oh, God's a covenant-keeping God. Look at this last verse about covenant-keeping God. Oh, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, that you've declared to him, kept with uh, what you've declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand you fulfilled it this day. Whatever God speaks, he is going to fulfill. Whatever God speaks, he is going to fulfill. Let me say that one more time. Whatever God speaks, he is going to fulfill. If God says he's going to do something, you can bet that he's going to do it. Our God's a covenant-keeping God. Now, what do we do in response with all this is a lot of times we, we if, I, if I know that God is going to do everything for me, whether I do anything or not, like, why, why even try? Why even do anything? Like, if God's gonna be faithful to me no matter what I do, shouldn't I just go out and live however I wanna live and then he's gonna be faithful to forgive? And how many times have we thought, oh, well, just this last time I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna close the door because God's gonna forgive me anyways. I'm just gonna, just one more time, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to that place one more time because God's gonna forgive me anyways. Well, we'll get this straight tomorrow because God's gonna forgive me anyways, but right now, today, I'm gonna enjoy the sin that I'm living in. And why do we do that? Because we are taught our whole life about God's faithfulness, and we hear over and over and over, he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful, and so we go, he's so faithful, why should I do anything? Why shouldn't I just receive his faithfulness? Have you ever been at a, at a staff lunch or dinner I think about like at Wells Fargo, they would take us to these like Japanese steakhouse places, hilarious. And so we would go there and all of our staff would be there. And someone would always say this. They would say, you can get whatever you want on the menu. You know, at a Japanese steakhouse, it's like chicken or beef, right? But, <laughs> but um, you can get whatever you want on the menu. And there's always that coworker who five seconds before when they thought they were paying for it, they were ordering from the kids', kids menu. <laughs> and now as soon as they know you're paying for it, they're like, I'll have the flaming yawn, right? And it's $50 for an ounce. And they're like, I don't care, I'm, I'm getting it. Because it's not on me, it's on, it's on them, right? And then there's the people who you say, it's on, it's on the company. And as soon as you say that, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, wow, thank you. That's the same response that we have with God. There's people who go, oh, well, if it's on God, I'll just do whatever I want. And then there's the people who are like, God, you're, you're sorry, what? You're, you're paying what, Bill? You're wiping out what sin? You're caring for me? We have two responses with God. We can either respond flippantly like, ah, yeah, the grace of God, it's always gonna be there. Or we can respond in gratitude. And we can respond in God, I cannot believe how faithful you are. Even when I have failed, even just this morning when I thought this or said this or did this, you're so faithful even when I'm failing.
Here's the last thing about God. God is a covenant-enabling God. A covenant-enabling God. This means that God doesn't just make covenant with us. He enables us to walk out covenant with him. Look at this verse in Ephesians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's another translation that says, so that for all future generations he will point to us as a trophy of his grace. For all future generations, he wants to be able to point to you as a trophy of his grace. A trophy of his grace. Some people walk into an athlete's room and there's medals and trophies hanging everywhere. You know what God wants? He wants, he wants a house full of trophies of his grace. Trophies of his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what I'm trying to say here. God doesn't just give us the grace to be forgiven for bad things that we've done. He gives us the grace so that we can do the good things he's called us to. He gives us the divine enablement to be faithful to him. He gives us the divine enablement to trust him. He gives us the divine enablement to do the good things. Listen, in my own self, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I do good today? But by the grace of God, I wake up and I go, how can I serve? How can I bless? Not in my flesh, but in God's spirit moving in me. When, when God is giving us the grace, we have the grace not just to receive his faithfulness, forgiveness of sins, but also the grace to walk out the good things he's called us to. In other words, he enables our end of the deal. Think about my daughters, and this would be like if I went to my daughters and I said, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, okay? I'm gonna give you infinity dollars, and you're gonna give me $20. I'm gonna give you infinity dollars, and you're gonna give me $20. This is our covenant, and I'm faithful to the covenant, and they're not faithful to the covenant, but I'm giving them infinity dollars, and they have nothing to give me. So I give them the dollars that they can give back to me. This is the grace of God. We have nothing to give to God. There is no reason why he should want us as a people. But he gives us the grace to uphold our side of the covenant, to be his people. He gives us the grace, like in our own self, like, we can't do the good things he's called us to, but by the grace of God, we can be faithful today. We can serve today. We can bless today instead of curse. We can build today instead of tear down. By the grace of God, we can be the people of God that we're called to be. He is a covenant-enabling God. I want to encourage you today. God wants to make covenant. He made a new covenant. When he took the bread and the wine, he broke the bread and he took the cup, and he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. He's taking the cup and he's saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, take this, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. 
What, what is he saying here? He's saying, you and I were entering into a new arrangement, a new agreement. What is, that, what is that arrangement? What is that agreement? My job is to just be in Christ. My job is to trust him. My job is to trust him for my salvation. My job is to trust him for my needs. My job is to trust him for every single thing. I don't have to worry or stress. I just have to trust Jesus. I don't have to, I don't have to stress and try to prove and try to, I, I just have to trust Jesus. He's gonna enable me to do the good things God wants in my life. If I'm trying to do good works to try to prove something to God, three days later, I'm gonna be failing again. But if I just trust Jesus and receive that divine enablement, then I can serve God today. I can have that conversation today with grace that I, that I wanted to curse somebody out, but now I'm talking with grace. I can have that thing today where, you know, I, I wanted to do this, but now I'm doing this. Why? Because God is enabling me to uphold my side of the covenant, to be, he's my God and I'm, his, I'm part of his people. So I wanna encourage you today, one, that if you feel like, man, I failed, I've fallen short, I wanna encourage you, he keeps his covenant to a thousand generations. I wanna encourage you today, if you feel like, man, I, I have faith to believe that God can forgive my sins, but I don't have faith to believe that he can make me into the good thing he wants to make me into. I wanna encourage you today, you are his workmanship. You are his craft, you are his experiment, you are his thing that he is shaping into so that for all future generations, he can point to you and say, that's a trophy of my grace. He's a covenant making God. He's a covenant revealing God. He's a covenant keeping God and he's a covenant enabling God. His desire is that he would be our God and that we would be his people. Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you so much today that you, you want us, first of all. I just thank you that you want us. It makes no sense to me why you would want us, but you do. It's because you're good, not because we're good. Because you're awesome, not because we're awesome. But God, by your grace, you enable us to be the people we're called to be. You enable us to do the good works you've called us to. You enable us to serve you. You enable us to follow you. You enable us to be the trophy of grace that you've called us to be. Help us today to not, to not take your grace for granted, not just kind of be like, well, God's gonna keep his in no matter what I do. But God, help us to respond with gratitude and thanksgiving and honor and worship. And just like Romans says, help us to give you our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable act of worship. God, thank you. Our prayer as a church is that you would be our God and that we would truly be your people because you are faithful to uphold your covenant. We thank you in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen. amen.